0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media Thanks to the generosity of our supporters Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au Today 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 with Jeff Vines,
1: We are taking the gospel to the world Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher Bringing people far from God, near to God We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, Compassion. connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. We are ultimately saved by grace, a product of our God's overwhelming holiness. In today's message, Pastor Jeff asks Does it really matter how we live? We'll be encouraged to really think about how important it is for us to live a particular way. As followers of Christ. Let's join Pastor Jeff. This is today with Jeff Vines.
1: Turning your Bibles to Exodus 19 as we continue our series, there is more. I want to start out with some pretty crucial questions, and it goes like this. I want you to really think about this. Does' it really matter how you live? I mean, really? And if it does matter, why? I mean, we're saved by grace, right? And if we're saved by grace, what else really matters? A life is so short, uh, no matter what we do, uh, it will eventually fade away, good or bad. No matter what we do, eventually we'll end up in the promised land, right? So what does it really matter how we live In fact, James in James 4.14 says that we're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So if we're just a a vapor, if we're just a puff of smoke and eternity lasts so long, then what's the big deal about how we live? Whatever we do, it'll fade away like like us. So even if I give in to temptation and I often do the wrong thing, that too will pass, right? It's like a puff of smoke. I'll eventually get to the promised land. So why struggle so hard? Why not just do the best I can? And if if I fail, okay, failure, it won't last. Again, my life is a vapor, so are my failures, right? Sins, my sins are short-lived. But eternity in the promised land lasts forever. So even if I do some bad things and they have negative effects on the world, it won't last very long. They'll fade away just like a vapor. So why should I really try to make an effort? Because being good's hard. Why should I I try that hard to resist temptation, especially those that make me feel really good? If you look at the Exodus story, it's an incredible visual of, of life's journey. The entire visual from Exodus in Egypt to the desert and then to Mount Sinai is the largest and most extended visual aid of the gospel ever presented. Think about it. An Israelite back in those days, he could have said, you know what? I was born in bondage under the penalty of death. I was a slave in a foreign land, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. Remember the blood over the doorpost? He could say, any Israelite in that time could say, I was led out and saved by the mighty hand of God. And for those of you who might be a little lost right now, we're talking about the Moses on the mountain when he received the Ten Commandments. That's our context. So any Israelite could have said, I was led out and saved by the hand of God. I did nothing to earn this salvation. It was accomplished completely and effectively by the Lord himself. And then we were all led out to the mountain where God talked to us and told us, this is the way you ought to live. He gave us the law, the Ten Commandments. And now, any Israelite could have said, we've not reached the promised land yet, and we often do fail, we sin, but... We have this way of constantly dealing with our sin through the blood of the sacrifice of the lamb. Man, we're just waiting to get to the promised land. Now, every Israelite could have said that, would have and could have said that. But if you think about it, every Christian today can say the same single thing, right? We can say the same thing, every single one of those things. We were enslaved. We were under the bondage or the penalty of death or sin. The wages of sin is death. We take shelter in the blood of the lamb. Behold, the blood of the lamb or the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And because we're saved by sheer grace, God said, now let me instruct you on how I want you to live. From the Sermon on the Mount to the epistles of Paul, God says, this is how I want you to live while you're waiting to get to the promised land. This is the gospel writ large. The entire experience from Exodus is a visual of who we are how we are to live and ultimately where we're going, right? God rescued us, saved us, gave us the law, and we're all headed toward the promised land. So again, what's the big deal about trying to be good or holy or living a good life? We could say like the Israelites, this life here is just a desert experience, and sooner or later, we're going to get to the promised land. And, and this life here won't last that long, so why, why does it really matter how I live, really? I'm going to eventually get to the promised land, Right? I'm saved by grace, so nothing can stop me. I'll be there. So why do I have to make such an effort to be holy? Does it really matter if I sleep with my girlfriend before we're married? Does it really matter if I have to lie a little bit to get ahead? I mean, this is the real world. To get ahead, you have to lie a little bit. Does it really matter if I smoke a little weed and get drunk from time to time? Does it really matter that much in the larger scheme of things? And another thing, the Bible says God knows I'm weak. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So God gets me. God understands me. He knows I'm just not very good at this holy thing. That's why I need grace. So what does it really matter? How I live or what I do? It's just a short time a vapor and I'll be with God in eternity. And no matter how much of the wilderness I got to endure, I'll get to the promised land. What a good God he is to cut me slack the way he does. He understands that I need companionship, so I'm going to move in with this man that I'm not married to. It's no big deal to God. He understands that this world is about sex, money, and power. They're crucial for survival. And sacrifice and generosity are noble concepts, but God knows I live in the real world. And just like the Israelites, this is my wilderness experience, but I'll eventually get to the promised land. Therefore, by the grace of God go I. And Exodus 19 tells me that I'm his treasured possession. He treasures me, so it's all good. So what's the big deal? Now, the God that I just described to you is the one I read about in secular and Christian media today. The God I just described is the one I hear most about in the marketplace and at coffee shops. The one I see demonstrated in the lives of people, primarily in the Western world, that God is this great big God of love who rescued you and it doesn't matter how you live. Eventually you'll get to the promised land. But like all heresies, the idea of God is filled with half truths. God did rescue his people in Exodus 19. The passage we're going to look at, he says, "You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself." What's the whole point of that? Eagle's wings. You did nothing on your own, man. I rescued you. I delivered you. But now this is the text. And it took a lot a little bit to set it up, but this is we want, we need to do some exposition here. Watch what happens next in the Bible. In Exodus 19, The Lord comes to Moses and he says, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud and I'm going to do that so the people will recognize it's me to some degree and I'm going to talk to you so they're going to trust you, Moses. And then I want you to go tell the people, look, I'm coming for a visit and you better consecrate yourselves. You better wash yourselves, take a bath, be ready by the third day. On that day, I'm going to come down to Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then he says... Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 19 that Moses did exactly as God told him to. He went down to the people and he said, make yourselves holy, consecrate yourself. You're about to come into the presence of God. And then the Bible says on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and a voice of God answered him. The visual and auditory effects are astonishing. You say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Whoa! In Hebrews 12, the New Testament, we read this. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched... That is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, storm, to trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Wow. That's serious. It's hard to chillax when you hear something like that, isn't it? Think about all the things mentioned fire, deep darkness, gloom, sto- storms, thundering, lightning, trumpet blasts, the voice of God. And then here's what gets me. And remember, we're trying to understand the revelation of God to us about himself. And according to this, God says, don't come near me. I might have to kill you. <laughs> uh, you might perish. He says, I might break out. Don't get too close. I think, really? I mean, that It sounds like God doesn't trust himself. It's like the Hulk. Dude, don't make me angry. I might turn green and bust out of my clothes. And even though I don't want to, it just might happen. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia where you have Aslan, the lion, who represents the Christ figure. And little Lucy comes and asks, speaking of God, is he safe, right? And the response comes back, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's not safe. The point is God is not a warm fuzzy Say, well, okay, that's just one passage of scripture. Uh, give me some others. Okay. He appears to Jacob as a powerful wrestler. He appears to Job as a hurricane. You ever seen a hurricane? I have. The sky gets all dark. It starts encroaching upon you. It feels like it's in hot pursuit of you until finally you get the feeling you can't escape it. That's God. He appears to Moses in a blazing fire. To Joshua, a man of war armed to the teeth. So what is it that's so terrifying about God? Why are people so afraid? You say, well, Jeff, isn't it obvious? I mean, look, lightning, thunder, tornado, fire. I mean, come on, man. No. It's much more profound than this. The nature of God does not have to have visual or auditory accompaniments. God came to Adam As a companion walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and yet Adam was terrified, hiding, afraid, shaken, fearing for his life. Why? Listen carefully. Because he had sinned, and for the first time in his life, he realized the true contrast between him and God, and he did not want God to see him like this. Have you learned that lesson yet? The difference between you and God? we are in such deep denial about how bad we really are and the contrast between us and god but if you were actually to see yourself as you really are you would have a (laughs) self-quake you know what a self-quake is you'd feel disintegrated in new zealand we have fainting goats do they have those here you know what a fainting goat is a faint they're they're real what happens is something happens and they go and then they fall over I do that every time I come into the presence of my wife, (laughs) fall right over. If you could see yourself for what you're really like, the sniveling coward that we really are, the depths of cruelty that we are capable of if we're put in the wrong situation, you'd die. You'd have a self-quake. You'd be a fainting goat. Because our self-image, no matter how much we say, yes, I know I'm loved by God, accepted by God, and I know he treasures and values me, no matter how many times you say that, because you kind of learn to say that as a Christ follower, and it is the truth, but no matter how much you say that, even the most experienced, mature Christians that I meet, including myself, we rest our self-regard on our ability to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not bad compared to the rest. Of the I'm a pretty good person. I read an article not too long ago about counselors at Ivy League schools. So we're talking Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Oxford. And the article said that counselors in these schools are under tremendous pressure because the kids that come to these schools do so because they're the, they were the smartest kids in their hometown. So when they show up on Harvard campus, they automatically assume that they are the smartest people around. And it becomes their identity, their self-assurance, their self-esteem all wrapped up in who they are. Then they show up on campus. And they have a self-quake. They realize they're average, mediocre. And they may not make it. And they begin to disintegrate. They realize they've been comparing themselves to a very low standard. And now that they're in the presence of greatness, they say to themselves, I can't do this. I can't measure up. I'm doomed. Even suicidal. If getting into the presence of human superlativeness practically decimates you, What would it be like to get into the presence of a holy God? (laughs) That's what happened to Isaiah. What did he say? Whoa, I am undone, disintegrated. What happened to Peter? Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Remember when he met Jesus? Don't come near me. Even a glimpse of the presence of God makes you feel disintegrated. The holiness of God will cause you to shrivel up. The beauty of God will make you feel ugly and tainted. Have you worked that out yet? Or are you living in a dream world conveniently concocted by your made-up view of God? This is so important because the truth is, out of all the temptations you face, this is the most destructive. More destructive than alcohol, drugs, sex, much more destructive than all those things because this is at the foundation of all your decisions. Have you created God in your own image? The God of ultimate subjectivity. In other words, your God is amazing. He's just like you think he ought to be. He likes all the things you like and dislikes all the things you dislike. And the degrees of good and bad, in his view, are exactly like yours. How uncanny.
0: <laughs>
1: How convenient. In other words, you think God should just chill and let everybody who tries to do good come on up to heaven. If that's what you think, amazingly, that's exactly what your God is like. If your list of immorality includes things like, well, you shouldn't kill or slander or cheat on your spouse, but it's okay to steal and lie from time to time because those things are necessary in the real world to get ahead, it's amazing. Your God thinks the same way. (laughs) Now, I want to read to you something from C.S. Lewis. I I say, Jeff, I I know what you're thinking. You say, Jeff, I don't know if I like this. What what are you doing? I'm, I'm not sure where you're leading me. Stay with me. C.S. Lewis, this is the best I've ever read about this issue. And of course, it comes from C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers. He says, An impersonal God? Oh, we like that well and good. A subjective God of love and goodness inside our heads? Better still. A formless life force surging through everyone? A vast power which we can tap best of all. But God Himself? Alive. Pulling at the other end of the cord, approaching at infinite speed, the hunter, the covenant Lord, the husband, that's quite another matter. There comes a moment when people who are dabbling in religion suddenly draw back supposing they had really found him who never really meant it to come to that. Worse still, he found us. If there is a God, you are in a sense alone with him. You cannot put him off with speculations about your neighbor's hypocrisy. My neighbor, Those Christians are hypocrites, therefore God does not exist. (laughs) Does that make any logical sense at all? Or memories of what you've read in books? But this book told me, yeah, it's interesting how you love reading books that agree with you. What will all that chatter and hearsay count when the antiseptic fog, my goodness, the numbing fog we call the real world, fades away, the divine presence in which we have all stood becomes palpable, immediate, and unavoidable. Your God is convenient. Now, believe me, folks, I cut that in half. It could have been so much longer. <laughs> when we come together on the weekend, what are your expectations of me? What do you expect when you come? Encouragement? Yeah, Pastor Jeff, the world beats me up. Tell me, tell me I'm good. Enlightenment? Yeah, Jeff, tell me, tell me what the world is really like, not what I think it is. Experience, Yeah, Jeff, I want to I move out of this cerebral thing about God, moving into the heart and the emotions, okay? Engagement, I need to engage with other Christ followers to hear their stories and how God is working in their lives. All of those are good things, but my job primarily, do you know what it is? To open the Word of God and bring to light the revelation of God to you. Amen. To move past subjectivity, What you feel God should be like to objectivity, what God is truly like. And the real God, if He's the real God, will contradict you. So here it is. Here's what I learned in Exodus 19 God is holy, He is your friend, but He's not your buddy. You can't just waltz into his presence any way you like. Now, you can come in any time you like because of something we'll talk about in a moment, but in any way you like. He is to be respected and feared. And respect and fear are not antitheses to love. They can be harmonized. And my job is to tell you that if you violate the precepts of God, you should be afraid because God disciplines those he loves. You say, My God's not like that. Yeah, because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> On the mountain, God said to Moses, Go down and talk to them. They're about to waltz up this mountain like it's no big deal. And God says in Exodus 19:10, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes, be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, put limits Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful, you don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of the mountain. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. What is the point? Does God not love his people? Yes, he does, but they have no idea what the holiness and glory of God would do to them. And neither do you nor I. Our God in the Western world is far too tame because we've created him in our own image. You know, the thing about storms, they're beautiful, but they can kill you. And so is God. And this God is no longer proclaimed or seldom proclaimed because we're afraid people will get mad and leave church if we tell them who God really is. He loves you. But he is to be feared and respected. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, but that's the Old Testament God. The New Testament God is far more tame. And yet in Galatians 6, which is in the New Testament, the Bible says a passage with which you should be familiar by now. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God rescued you, but grace is not a license. You violate the precepts of God. He'll forgive you, but the ramifications still come. You kill a man, God will forgive you, but you're still going to go to prison. You cheat on your wife, God will forgive you, but she's still gonna divorce you. You continually lie, God will forgive you, but nobody's gonna trust you. And if you have a cavalier and apathetic attitude about the impurities in your life, like gossip and slander and anger and hatred and unholy pursuits of any kind, God says, I love you, therefore, I'm not gonna reward that kind of behavior. I'm not an enabler, I'm gonna discipline you because I love you. Again, you say, that's not my God. And again, I say that's because your God does not exist other than in your mind. The real God, every decision you make matters. Every step you take matters. That's why Dallas Willard, another great mind, says grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You can't earn your salvation, but if you truly have it, there's going to be effort in your life not to earn God's favor, but to do something else.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: Do you care if you break the Father's heart? Does it sadden you to wound the heart of the Father? Or is the truth that you don't really value God's precepts because you don't treasure God and you've never really understood the Gospel and you really have little to no concern about what pleases or delights the heart of the Father. All you care about is skimming by, by the skin of your teeth, as long as you can just get into the Promised Land.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines" wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder You make wonder Today Today Today